is Palm Sunday, and we're doing kind of a, a mashup. You know what a mashup is? Sermon mashup? You take two stories and mash them up into one. It's not a thing. I just invented it just now. So you take two stories, mash it up into one. This is Palm Sunday. It's also the last week of our study of the book of Jonah. And for those of you who know church life, you know the story of Jonah, you know the story of Palm Sunday. How in the world do those mash up? Well, I will let you know. It starts with Palm Sunday. This is the Sunday that Jesus rode into the city on a donkey, and he was surrounded by people who were, who were singing his praises. Uh, they hailed him as king, the one who comes to save. They were embracing him as the savior of the world. He rides into the city, and then over the course of several days, he is teaching and preaching, and he is ministering to this beautiful city of Jerusalem, and he's caring for those who are the least, the last, and the lost, the most broken, the most rejected, the most despised. He is loving them and teaching them that there's a new kingdom coming. At the same time, he's making the religious leaders very, very nervous because the religious leaders' power is about their control, religious control over the people, and Jesus was freeing them from religious control. He was freeing them from guilt and shame and manipulation that comes from religious environments. And he's saying, no, you can enjoy uh, walking with God as his daughter, as his son. He's a father. So he's not this, this big, powerful, you know, condemning figure ready to pounce on you if you fail. He's actually a loving heavenly father who embraces you and loves you and accepts you and walks with you in a relationship of love. So he made the religious leaders very nervous, so much so that they conspired with the Roman authorities to put him to death. They falsely accused him of wanting to topple the Roman Empire. Complete fabrication. And so Jesus is brought before the Roman governor, uh, Pontius Pilate. And Pilate asks him, are you king of the Jews? And he says, well, kind of yes and no. He says, I'm a king, but I'm a king of a different kind of kingdom. It's not of this world. And so Pontius Pilate says, well, I've got no problem with him. He says he's a king that makes us nervous as an empire who is, you know, oppressing people. We don't want any competition, but he says it's not of this world, so I see no fault in him. But the city erupts, shouts crucify him, and Pontius Pilate thinks he has no choice but to put Jesus to death to calm the city down. That's Holy Week. On Friday, Jesus is crucified. He breathes his last breath. Saturday is a day of darkness and, and fear as disciples wonder whether they're going to be next to be arrested and tried and condemned to crucifixion. And then Sunday is resurrection day. Jesus rises from the dead, visits his disciples, and for the last 2,000 years, that message of resurrection is a message of hope, new life and eternal life given to us freely by God's grace through Jesus Christ. That's Holy Week. This is also the last week of our study of Jonah, chapter four. And we see in the study of Jonah that God calls Jonah to go to a city, Nineveh. And Jonah says, no, thank you. They're the enemies. I'm not giving God's mercy to my enemies. I'm going the opposite direction. God sends a storm and a fish and pukes up Jonah over there and says, no, I think you're gonna go to Nineveh. And he goes to Nineveh and he reluctantly preaches this eight word sermon. Some of you were saying, I wish your sermons were eight words. <laughs> 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's the message. Mic drop, peace out. 40 days. And Jonah is hoping that the city does not turn around. He's hoping for the judgment, the wrath of God to pour on this city because this city is violent. They're a city of empire, bloodthirsty. They, they slaughter thousands in their wake. They take hundreds of thousands of slaves. I mean, this is Nineveh. This is the Assyrian Empire. Jonah says, I don't want them to be shown mercy. I want them to be eliminated from the face of the earth. 
but God's a God of mercy. And so Nineveh turns from their bloodthirsty ways, so the story goes, and God spares them from judgment. God spares them from judgment. Now, what does Palm Sunday and Easter week have to do with the story of Jonah? Well, I will not only explain that, I'll let Jesus explain that, because he ties his story with the story of Jonah. It is actually Jesus who brings these stories together. In Luke chapter 11, verse 29, Jesus says, listen, this evil generation around me, they keep asking to show them a miraculous sign, but the only sign I will give them is the sign of Jonah. Jesus says, the thing I'm going to show the world is the sign of Jonah. Well, what is the sign of Jonah? As we see in the story, Jonah is the sign that God will do whatever it takes to bring his mercy to everyone everywhere, even and especially to the most undeserving. That's the sign of Jonah. Jesus says, I'm not going to do many more tricks. I'm not going to show you many more healings and even raise people from the dead. Yet still, the people around were saying, we need a sign. We need proof, right? We need evidence. Jesus says, the only evidence I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonah. Jesus was saying the work of God is about seeking and saving this lost, broken, violent world. And Jesus says, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to fulfill what Jonah was supposed to do. I'm going to do it right, and I'm going to do it for the whole world. So how are Jesus and Jonah similar? How are these stories similar? Well, first, they were both prophets. Both were sent from God. Jonah was sent as a mouthpiece of God to Nineveh. Jesus was sent as a mouthpiece of God to Jerusalem. Both were called to lost cities. Nineveh was lost because of their bloodthirsty empire. Uh, in fact, the Bible says that in Nineveh, they would stack the bodies of corpses of those whom they overthrew, right? And, and so this was a terribly violent city. Jerusalem, Jesus says, was a spiritually dark city. Even though it was the capital city of God's people, they missed God's heart entirely. So Jonah was sent to the darkness of Nineveh. Jesus was sent to the darkness of Jerusalem. Both were called to preach mercy. Jonah to preach mercy to Nineveh. Jesus to preach mercy to Jerusalem. And both were camped on a hill outside the city. Jesus set up his camp on the Mount of Olives, which was sitting 300 feet above Jerusalem. Jonah set up camp on a hilltop above the city of Nineveh. And we'll see on those two hillsides the differences now between Jonah and Jesus, because the similarities stop here. Everything else was entirely different. So let's start with the hilltop that Jonah was on. This is just a kind of a nice little rendering of the view that Jonah might have had here. So the next slide shows a, a perched on a hilltop view overlooking what might have been something similar to the city of Nineveh. This is a, a rendering. The city of Nineveh was toppled, but there's some ruins there. And it was a great, powerful, mighty city uh, actually, modern-day Mosul, Iraq, in the uh, northern area of the Mesopotamian Valley, a city that was rich with architecture and libraries and actually incredible scientific innovations, but they were a bloodthirsty empire, bloodthirsty empire, and Jonah wanted them destroyed. That city, shortly after the story of Jonah, would destroy Israel utterly destroy Israel, wipe them off the face of the earth to this very day. So they were sworn enemies of Israel. So Jonah had a visceral hatred toward the city of Nineveh. He wanted so desperately the judgment of God to pour down on that city, and God showed them mercy. And Jonah was furious. He was furious. 
he was not happy at all. So he complained to the Lord. So imagine Jonah on that hilltop complaining. I mean, griping to God. He has a serious complaint against the Lord. He is furious and he is letting God have it. He says, God, listen, I knew that you were merciful and compassionate. He is enraged at God here. I knew you're slow to get angry and I know that you are filled with unfailing love. He is upset. Now, if you were to hear this story 3,000 years ago around a campfire in the area of Israel, you would hear Jonah's anger and you would start laughing, right? Keep in mind, Jonah is a satire. Jonah is actually a a comedic story from an ancient Near Eastern perspective. Um, Let's just imagine you were angry at your spouse. I'm looking around, I don't see anybody getting angry at their spouse ever, right? You can't relate to this. But let's just imagine you get angry at your spouse and you're having a heated conversation the way Jonah was angry at God. And you say to your spouse, listen, I knew it, I knew it, I absolutely know, you are incredibly merciful. I mean, you're enraged, screaming at your wife, you are so merciful. You are so compassionate, I've like had it with your compassion. Your mercy and your love is unfailing, how dare you? I mean, that's what Jonah is accusing God of. He's screaming at God, you're so merciful. You're so kind and you're so loving, right? So on its face, it just sounds kind of ridiculous, right? He's furious and angry that God is so loving. Then in his anger, Jonah goes outside of the east side of the city and makes a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. He's enraged. He is sulking. He is mad at God. He's seething and he's on that hilltop. He built himself a little shelter and he's looking over the city, which he hates. He wants wiped off the face of the earth. He wants God to bring end times to this city, destroy this place, eradicate it because of their sin. God never did. Instead of bringing the end times that Jonah wants, God actually offers them a whole new beginning. And Jonah is furious. Now, this is the part of the story where as you're you're reading the story or as you're listening to it around a campfire 3,000 years ago, you would start to realize that Jonah is actually the bad guy here. Jonah, the prophet of God, the mouthpiece of God, has a corrupt heart. He just wants judgment and wants condemnation of the world around him, and yet God wants to show mercy and compassion, kindness where his love never ends. Jonah's heart and God's heart are so far from each other that Jonah becomes the enemy of this story. And so if you were the hearer of this story, you would think to yourself, kind of rationally so, that God was gonna judge Nineveh but does not because he offers them a new beginning which they take. Jonah ends up being the villain because his heart is so far from God. Jonah can't get himself to a place of kindness and love towards these people. And so now you start to think, well, God's judgment is gonna fall on Jonah instead. Jonah's now gonna get it but he doesn't. The same mercy that God shows towards Nineveh is the same mercy that God now shows towards Jonah. So Jonah is furious with God, and how does God respond? With kindness. Verse six of chapter four. The Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. Still mad at God, (laughs) but God showed a measure of mercy towards Jonah. 
So as you read through the story of Jonah, you're, you're just overwhelmed by the mercy of God. He shows mercy towards this city that was full of violence and empire and enslaved people. And then he shows mercy to this prophet who bailed out, went the opposite direction, refused to obey God, and never aligns his heart with the heart of God. God shows mercy to him. God's just like, mercy, mercy to you and to you and to you. That's just how God rolls. It's fantastic to look at in the context of this beautiful story. So God is patient with us even when we don't get it. God is patient with us even though our heart is not a merciful heart. God still shows us mercy. And I thank God that he did. Because God showed mercy to me. In my early days of ministry here as a very young pastor, um, I led our youth group. And for the first five, maybe seven years of my youth ministry here, I was full Jonah, full Jonah, level 10 Jonah, right? And I was raised with some mentors who kind of steered me in that direction. It's not, I'm not blaming them. I'm just saying that was very popular. I was a child of 80s evangelical Christianity. And for those of you who are about in your 50s, you're with me, you understand what that means, right? It's about believing the right things. If you believe the right things, you're gonna be good with God. Then it's about, you know, being morally pure. And so, you know, era of purity rings and just pushing purity, purity, purity. And, and this whole system, especially on young people, this whole system of obedience. And these are the things you cannot do. God will ruin your life if you do them. And so we're saddling kids with this idea that you may not do these things. These are, this is the naughty list. And if you do the things on the naughty list, God is not gonna be happy and he's gonna mess with your life. He will not bless your life. He will not answer your prayers. Then these are the things you're supposed to do. These are the minutes you're supposed to read in the Bible and the minutes you're supposed to pray and you're supposed to be sharing your faith with the lost world and, and you're supposed to be devout and go to church and all these things, right, that you're supposed to do. So growing up in that environment of a big list of things you can't do and a big list of things you should do, I grew up thinking that that's what God wants. God wants me believing the right things and doing the right things. If I believe the right things, do the right things, and I'm, if I'm devoted, if I'm sincere, right, and if I'm faithful, then God's gonna answer my prayers, bless my life, and get me to heaven. If I don't, I'll live in shame and I'll live in fear. And that's just normal course of religious culture. That's how I grew up. And because that's how I grew up, the, a lot of the teaching around me was emphasizing that when I became a youth pastor here, that's what I just poured out to these kids. And so I was teaching them the, the horror of the coming end times, right? That's what I was taught, and I was pouring that down. I was teaching the riches of heaven, like streets of gold and mansions, and teaching the tortures of hell. And here are these kids with wide eyes, you know, looking at me. Calling youth to be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Not half-hearted, not lukewarm, fully devoted. These are kids, right? Putting burdens on them. The very burdens that Jesus came to free us from, I was putting on our kids the way it was put on me by well-intentioned, loving people, right? It's just the system, it's just the system. It's the system that Jonah was raised in, right? Jonah was raised as a, as a good Jewish prophet under the Jewish law, which is all these rules and regulations and commandments, and if you do them, God will bless you. If you don't, God will curse you. And so here's Jonah, having been raised in that, so now he goes to Nineveh, and this is the most wicked city on earth, and so certainly, the way the rule book goes is they need to be condemned, judged. The fires of heaven consuming Nineveh. That's what he wanted, that's what he prayed for, and he did not get it. 
and yet God was patient with him and sent him this lush plant to give him shade and to cool him from the elements, right? But God wanted to move him on too. And so God dispatched a worm. Yes, according to the story, God also arranged for a worm. Now this also should be funny. We're not ancient Near Easterners, so we don't quite get the humor, but just kind of imagine the God of heaven and earth, right? The, the one who created the universe with a word, he dispatches a worm. You know, it's like God Almighty dispatched the worm, dispatched the worm step, right? So a little tiny worm. And it's just the beauty of the story, right? Jonah is a, a parable and it's, every bit of it is this beautiful story that says something powerful and profound that God is gonna work in Jonah, even though Jonah's heart is far from God, he doesn't get mercy, he only wants judgment. God shows mercy by giving him this lush plant but at the right time, Jonah's sitting there like day after day after day, like Jonah, buddy, you gotta move on. And Jonah's like, nope, I'm right here. My heart is grumpy. My heart is a heart of judgment. I, I, I want the end times to come on this city. I wanna be blessed. I want these people to be cursed. It's us versus them sitting on his high place of judgment. And God covered him and God was patient. God was patient. God was patient. Then he dispatches the worm. God arranged for a worm, so the next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. Now Jonah's fully exposed. God gave him grace, God was patient, as God was patient with me in my early days of ministry, but in my own life and in my own ministry, God sent a worm, right? That began to stir in my heart as this young, kind of zealot, God wants you to believe the right things and do the right things and he'll bless you, and if you don't, he is gonna bring his condemnation and shame upon you. That worm began to eat at the root of my own ministry to the point where I started preaching these things that I was taught and I didn't believe them anymore. I'm like, I'm preaching a religious system and these kids are being raised in that same system I was raised in of guilt and shame. We talked about the grace of God. We talked about it, but it was all, with all these caveats. Yeah, God is a God of grace, but you really need to turn from your sin in order for him to really forgive you. God's a God of grace, but you need to really confess your sin in order for him to really forgive you. So I remember at the end of the day, praying as a young man, trying to remember all the sins I committed, sometimes a long list, thinking if I didn't confess my sin, he wasn't gonna forgive me. We talked about grace, but then you need to obey God. We talked about grace, but you need to believe the right doctrines. We talked about grace, but you have to be faithful and sincere. We talked about grace, but you probably should be afraid of God's punishment if you get derailed. It's not real grace, it's more Jonah. I was kind of raised in that Jonah environment and I became a Jonah. And I taught my early youth group, some of, some of whom are still in this church. You know, thank God you're patient as well. But that worm began to eat at my roots as well and, and I didn't believe this stuff anymore. I didn't believe the system anymore. And so I started this grace awakening that continues to this very day. A grace awakening that says it's not about what I do. It's not about what I believe doctrinally. It's not about how obedient I am or how faithful I am or how devout I am. It's just about embracing God's unconditional love and grace and mercy through Jesus Christ. To be loved by God and to love the people around me. To be forgiven by God and forgive the people around me. It's really that simple. Whatever God has freely done for me, I can freely do for others. That's the entirety of the Christian life. And to kind of deconstruct the religious system and to be resurrected to this new reality of grace and love and forgiveness and the kindness and, and mercy of God poured out on me that over time can pour from me into the lives of others. I mean, that's just the whole Christian faith. 
So I had this period of deconstruction and reconstruction in grace. Jonah didn't enjoy that journey. Jonah stayed right where he was. As the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Pretty dramatic. I mean, his plant died, and now he wants to die. And again, that's kind of funny. It's like a plant died, and so he fell apart completely. But what is this showing? This is showing that sometimes the most devout religious people are the farthest away from the heart of God. That's what this is all about. Jonah's heart was so hard. His his heart was just about judgment and condemnation, not about mercy. And so God kills his plant to say, hey, listen, buddy, you've got to move on. It's time. You got to get with the program here. You got to get off your butt, right? You got to get off of your religious perch. Get over your religious hangups and get off of your self-righteous hill and go engage the city and love the city and serve the city. Just enjoy my grace in your life and enjoy bringing grace to the world around you. And I can't help but think that somehow in this last decade, God sent a worm to the church in America. God sent a worm to the church in America because the church in America about a decade ago was still very much in power. A Bunch of people went to church Uh, The church, many parts of the church identified themselves as kind of a moral majority and they traded their votes for political power. And so the church kind of married with political parties and started wielding political power and political favors. I mean, this has been a lot of the church in America and over the past years, that has collapsed, that has died. And the church in America, I don't want to be overdramatic either, but the church in America, I think, is going through an incredible transformation for the good and for the bad. Some of the church in America is just running, and I mean running, to follow Jonah. Running to follow Jonah. Get me as far away from this world as possible. Get me on the highest religious perch. I will start judging and nitpicking the sins of others. I will start calling out people's sins. Won't talk about ours, but we'll start calling out the sins of others, and we want judgment, and we'll talk about end times, and we'll talk about end of days, and we'll talk about the wrath of God. Some people are running to follow Jonah. And listen, I've been there. I get what that's like, and I'm telling you, it's like a drug. It is addicting. I am right. They're wrong. I'm good. They're bad. It's a drug. I get it. But there's also a huge movement running away from Jonah and following Jesus. It's kind of a grassroots movement. It doesn't have a name. It doesn't have, you know, prominent leaders. But there's a movement of churches and Christian people like you and I saying, hey, listen, it's time to run away from following Jonah and run to follow Jesus. How kind can we be? How compassionate can we be? How merciful can we be? And I am telling you what happens when some are following Jonah and some are following Jesus is the Jonah crowd says the exact same thing Jonah did. I can't believe how merciful you are. I can't believe how kind you are. I can't believe that your love never fails. I mean, they're saying that, right? But I have another part of the journey that I have to take very seriously because here's what's happened. I'm just talking about my journey here. There's the city of Nineveh that represents this big, broken, beautiful world that God loves. Jonah is perched upon a hill judging this world. But now some of us have gotten to a grace awakening and and really want to follow the mercy of God, the grace of God, and and be as merciful and gracious as Jesus was. And so what I've done, and I'm just confessing this, is I have now built another hill 300 feet above Jonah, and I love judging Jonah's. 
It's like sport for me. I, I'm telling you, it's, it really is. And it's so fun sometimes and easy. I mean, really. But what have I done? I've just set myself up as another Jonah judging the Jonas. And so coming out of, of this study, I mean, truly coming out of the study of Jonah, I've put this image in my mind. You know, Treadway, can you be the guy watering the plant that's comforting the Jonas of this world? And I'm thinking to myself, no, I can't. God actually do that. <laughs> and God's saying, well, you say you weren't away from Jonah, but now you're judging the Jonas. So, and that's hard. I mean, I've ha been having these conversations all morning with people. Even before, literally, before this message got started earlier in the morning, I'm having these conversations with people finding it so difficult to love the Jonas. And I'm just telling you, if God sent a lush plant over the judging Jonas, maybe we could be the ones watering that plant and loving the Jonas as we love the city. I don't know how to do that. I'm just on, I don't know how to do that. But my conclusion coming out of Jonah is, is I'm gonna try. I'm really gonna try because sitting next to Jonah is Jesus and the Mount of Olives, the mountain that he was camped at during that Easter week. And Jesus made it really clear what his priorities are. And you'll see the difference between him and Jonah real quick, right? This is, this is Jesus right before he's entering Jerusalem on that final week. And this is Jesus telling us what he's all about. He says, the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. Isn't that about a clear distinction as we can get from the priorities of Jonah? Jesus says, I'm gonna enter that city. I'm not gonna sit up on a judgmental perch. I'm going in. I'm going into that city and I'm coming to this city to seek and save the lost. So to put it this way, Jonah wanted to judge, punish, and condemn the city from a distance. Jesus wanted to seek and save the lost up close and personal. You see the difference? Crystal clear. So in Mark 11, Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem. They came to the town of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, and Jesus sent the two of them ahead. He sent his disciples, and he says, listen, we're going into that city. Let's prepare to go into that city. We're gonna bring love, we're gonna bring mercy. So Jonah's judging it from the outside, Jesus is saving from the inside. Let me show you a picture of the base camp. So this is a picture of the Mount of Olives. And it's a beautiful picture, I think we're gonna have that coming up here pretty quick, maybe not. All right, I'm not seeing it, it ain't coming. There it is, beautiful. It's the Mount of Olives, that's a modern picture. And that's the city of Jerusalem in the distance. It's beautiful. That's where Jesus was camped. And it's such a beautiful contrast to Jonah's heart who sat on a city and judged from a distance. Jesus sat on that hill and he had compassion and he rallied his people and says, let's go. So they brought a colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it and he rode into Jerusalem. Many in the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him and others spread palm branches they had cut in the fields. Jesus was in the center of the procession and the people all around him were shouting, praise God, blessing on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus says, we're going in. Jonah left the city, sat on a hill, hoping for the judgment of God. Jesus left the hill, rode into the city to bring the mercy of God. So are we gonna be like Jonah or Jesus? That's the choice that we have. Are we gonna be like Jonah 
or Jesus. And I think for us, we can think in big pictures, right? We can think about globally what's happening in the world and the destruction and the chaos of the world and the violence of the world, and we might think ourselves to be fairly helpless. You know, what can we do to really engage this world and help to save this world? And I understand with so many problems and, and you can't read the news without just having your heart break for what's happening in this world and, and how can we be a part of it. But if we distilled this down to the fact that we live in this city and wherever you are online, you live in your city and you have something to say about the city that you live in, are you gonna be perched from a distance and judging people around you or are you gonna be like Jesus and let's engage the city, engage your neighbors, get to know your neighbors, befriend your neighbors, for some of us, that's a great first step. For some of us, we kind of like to keep to ourselves and listen, some of us are more introverted and that's fine, but to be able to take a little bit of a step, just one more step and say, how can I engage my neighbors? How can I just show kindness toward my neighbor? At some point over time, how can I you know, lead them to a kind of expression of faith that is gracious and merciful and kind, right? How can we love those who religious people have rejected? And without getting into too, too many details, if this church that follows Jesus would love the people that are judged by Jonah's, this world's gonna start healing really quick. Did you hear me there? If the part of the church that is trying to love like Jesus loves people that are judged by Jonah's, we will start seeing an incredible healing take place not just in the church, because now we start look like, looking like Jesus, but in this world, we will start seeing incredible healing. One final verse, the last verse of Jonah, and then we'll close in a song. God said to Jonah, Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? The final verse of the book of Jonah, and it's done. And that same passage applies today. It just so happens that our city is about 120,000 people, just purely coincidence. And God says, shouldn't I be merciful to this city? And what's our answer? Yes, you should. Jonah was saying no. Jonah never got it. Jonah never repented from his sin and followed God's heart. He just didn't, but we can. And we can say, God, yes, this city deserves your mercy. It's a great city. And wherever you live, your city deserves your mercy. This city deserves to be loved. This city deserves to be forgiven. This city deserves kindness. This city deserves the grace of God and he always uses us to bring that message, always, always, always. If we don't bring it, no one will. Especially this Easter week, let's be agents of God's mercy, more like Jesus, less like Jonah. We're gonna sing this final song, and it is, as of today, the theme song of Jonah. So that's just the, what we're saying. It's forever for all time. This is the theme song of Jonah. Listen to this, this verse. Your, your mercy, God, triumphs over judgment, wider than horizon, stronger than all sin. Let this be the anthem of the book of Jonah, the life of Jesus, and the life that we get to live in Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank you for our time together today to look into your word, to look at both this Palm Sunday moment where Jesus enters the city that you love and he brings grace and mercy. And we get to see that compared to the heart of Jonah, which just wanted judgment and condemnation. Help us, God, 
to be more like Jesus and less like Jonah. Help us to understand that, that in Christ, mercy always triumphs over judgment. Help us to be agents of mercy in this world that needs it so incredibly. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.